Hi, Friendship Church. Pastor Jason here, Adult Ministries Pastor. And I'm so excited to tell you about our pickleball ministry that we're launching starting Sunday, January 29th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. right here in the Shakopee Gym. Pickleball is such an awesome sport to play, gets you great exercise, it's a lot of fun, and it's really easy to pick up. And so we're opening up our gym uh, with three courts to be able to invite people from the community in to come play pickleball even when it's freezing cold outside. And so this is really an outreach heavy event uh, where you can invite your friends or your neighbors or your family members to come and play pickleball. And may maybe you've never played before, maybe you're highly competitive, wherever you fall on that, uh, we would love to have you come and use this as an outreach to bring people to come into the church and bless them and have some fun with them. And so if, if you want to be a part of this ministry, you can go to friendshipmn.org pickleball to register. There you'll have the opportunity to register with somebody else. And we highly encourage you to invite somebody from the community and to come have some fun here as we testify to who Jesus is and enjoy playing pickleball together. It looks like a lot of fun. I want to thank Pastor Jason and his ministry. Uh, pickleball is coming up, as you saw. Also, men's retreat. Today is the last day to register for that. We want to encourage you to register. And on a personal note, I just want to thank Pastor Jason for filling in the pulpit. He's just a great guy. The dude reads out of the Greek New Testament like we read in English. He's, he's crazy. Uh, but we, we just love and appreciate him, and so thank you, Pastor Jason, wherever you are. Several people have come up to me today and said, is it because your counterpart on Prior Lake, at Prior Lake, has a birthday tomorrow where he's celebrating half a century, is that the reason that you're wearing black today? That, that's... That's a good guess, but that's actually why I'm wearing black tomorrow. Today is a little more serious. Today is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It's the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Uh, this has become something that is somewhat personal to Matt and me for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons is that the day after Roe v. Wade became... Uh, uh, abortion became a constitutional right, Matt was born. Forty-two and a half weeks later, I was born. Now, the reason I bring that up is that I had teenage parents. Those teenage parents had another decision that they could have made. I am thankful they made the decision that they made. Unfortunately, 65 million others have not. 65 million Babies have been murdered because of this, under that right. That is, just to kind of get our head around that number, that's 11.4 times the population of Minnesota currently. That's a lot. And there are consequences to that. On June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and that's great. Glad. If, but even if every law changed so that they were in line with the scriptures, it doesn't change hearts. And hearts are what needs to be changed. 
So how do we address that? Well, there are a few ways. We can obviously, we can pray, we can vote, we can volunteer. Those are great ways of, of helping to extend life. But also, if the statistics are true and one out of every four women have had an abortion, then that means there are probably some here today who need to hear this part. Abortion is also not the unforgivable sin. And there is healing and there is wholeness in Christ that is offered. Today, <clears throat> from 4 to 5.30 at Prior Lake, we'll have a Sanctity of Human Life seminar. And we want to encourage you to come out to that. Especially, especially if you're seeking healing. But also, I want you to know this has... The political world has gone into the biblical world, not vice versa. And so we're going to address this matter biblically. I don't, I don't care where the candidates stand in this respect. It matters what God's word has to say. And then we see where everyone else is. I bring this up today for several reasons. One of those reasons is this. Two times in Scripture, we see an amazing movement of God where a deliverer comes forward. We see it in the New Testament where uh, Herod recognizes that there is a king of Israel who has come. And his choice is infanticide, to kill those two and under in Bethlehem. And that's what he does. And a savior comes from there. In the Old Testament, Pharaoh recognizes that the, the Hebrews are starting to, uh, there's starting to be many of them. A lot of them. And he's starting to get to concern, starting to be concerned because of how many people there are. And so he institutes infanticide. And he kills all the boys as they're being delivered. And a deliverer, and a deliverer comes. And we have in the United States 64, 65 million who have been a part of this infanticide. And I believe the deliverer wants to come. In the Old Testament, we see some uh, spiritual realities being reflected in physical situations, historical events. In the New Testament, we see people who were enslaved to sin and death who were set free by the work of Jesus Christ. And that life extended to others, that freedom given to others. So we make no mistake about it. The same one the same entity that was behind uh, the, the infanticide in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is the same one who's in charge today of it. That means it's a spiritual battle. And because it's a spiritual battle, we get to engage. And we get to engage in such a way that we can see the captive set free. I hope that that is your heart today as well as we go through Exodus chapter 5 and chapter 6 together. And before we go there, I just want to spend a few moments in prayer, preparing our hearts for what God wants to do. And I recognize just even the subject matter, how we came out today, this is much heavier than normal. I get that. And it's okay to be in that tension. 64 million lives, like we should be in that tension. 65 million lives, we should be in that tension. And it's okay. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we come before you today, and uh, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. 
Forgive us for allowing the evil one to have his way in our nation and at times in our hearts. He's been a liar from the very beginning and he continues to lie. When the thief lies, he's speaking his native language. And we recognize that even today. Lord, we, we would pray for uh, our nation. Not that they would get the right candidate or even the right laws, but rather that people would get the right Savior. And it's not themselves. And it's not the government. And it's not more money. Lord, it's you. And so we ask for your work today. Would you deliver us, Almighty God? Would you come and set us free? As the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, you have come that we might have life, and we might have it more abundantly. Lord, give your abundant life today. We want to receive that abundant life, not just in a moment of prayer for salvation, but a day-to-day lifestyle that we embrace, that we find in you. Lord, live through us and in us that we can walk in wholeness and ultimately give you glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I I would ask you to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 5 as we prepare. Those slides are not uh, going to be up on the screens today. So, Uh, If you have your Bibles, please open those up. If you didn't bring your Bible, go ahead and get your phone out. Uh, If you get your phone out, I'm just trusting you that you're not scanning social media or whatever's going on in the world. You're sticking with me. So that's my step of faith here today. It's important for us to recognize this truth. Freedom isn't always instant. We live in an instant society. We would love to get it like right now. Uh, I ordered this freedom. Can I have it? But the reality is, freedom means life, and life isn't instant. I got to tell you something, in four weeks, four weeks, my daughter-in-law is due, I'm going to be a grandpa for the first time, I'm super excited about it, yeah, Cindy says, I don't, I don't know how I feel about being married to a grandpa, but that's fine, that's fine, <laughs> I am so excited I can't see straight, and I have been since day one. As soon as they told me, man, it's like I was checking in all the time. Hey, Jessica, how you doing? Same as I was yesterday, Dad. Oh, okay, okay, I appreciate that. How about now? (laughs) Same as just a moment ago, (laughs) and settle down. My son, Josiah, he's saying the same thing. Dad, it's okay if you tone it back a little bit. (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm spoiling this kid. (laughs) This is my opportunity to get even. I can't wait. (laughs) There's a reason I'm bald, and the main reason is Josiah. So, yeah, we're getting even. God bless you, Kennedy. I can't wait for her. That's her name, Kennedy Lee. So, we're excited. But the reality is, it takes time. Life is an instant. It's not just, it's not just happening. Uh, Jessica, my daughter-in-law, she couldn't say, uh, hey, I'm pregnant, and tomorrow, guess what? Or today, guess what? Nope. God has a way of making us wait, of developing some things, of making us, preparing us, of making us ready. And in a culture that when we're hungry, we can just go through the drive-thru, a culture that's instant, this is a hard pill to swallow. 
I'll give you another example. A good friend of mine in college had a sense that God was calling him into ministry. He went to his pastor. Pastor, do you think I'm being called into ministry? Yep. Went to his professors. Professors, do you think I'm being called into ministry? Yep. Uh, friends, do you think we're, I'm being called into ministry? Yep. Great. And uh, he went on his internship. And during his internship, some weird stuff happened. But he said, if this is the way ministry, if this is God's calling in my life, no thank you. He ended up becoming a teacher at a high school and has done very well, but I've always wondered, and so has he. Did he replace the best for the good? Yeah, this is good, but it could have been the best. He wanted something in those days. He, he wanted something instant. He didn't want to have to go through the process and the pain of working through the things he needed to for the sake of the call that God had on his life. And by the way, this is what he's telling me. This is not just my assumption in his world. Friends, freedom isn't always instant. And we have to keep that in mind as we look at Exodus chapter 5 and 6. As you go to chapter 5 and 6, let me give you a heads up. Uh, in chapter 4, Moses is... Uh, given a message by God. He's supposed to return to Egypt, give this message to Pharaoh on the way. Uh, just kind of out of the blue, there's this, God ends up becoming mad at Moses. And it's kind of like, what is going on? And uh, Moses isn't willing at this time to do what God has called him to do in his own life. And God doesn't deal with hypocrisy very well. In fact, he's very angry and has high expectations, especially for leaders. And so in the midst of his hypocrisy, he's ready to deal with Moses in some extreme ways, according to the passage. And Zipporah, his wife, steps in and saves his neck, literally. Uh, thank you, Zipporah. And, uh, and there, there is a movement that after Zipporah uh, rescues her husband, God says, okay, things have been done the way that they need to be done. Moses, your brother is going to come to you, and I'm, I have a word. And he gives him the word. He meets with Aaron. They go to Egypt. They meet with the children of Israel, and the children of Israel, you know, they, they want to know, is this true? And so Moses gives some displays that God had given him, like turning his staff into a snake or putting his hand into his cloak and it becoming uh, leprosy and then putting his hand back in and it's, it's healed. That's pretty amazing. And they bow their hearts, or they bow their heads and they worship God because they had been slaves in Egypt for a long time. And they were getting excited to no longer be slaves and to now have some freedom offered to them and some evidence that it might be coming, oh, that's exciting. And they're excited. And maybe, maybe I'm projecting into this just so you know I'm projecting, but maybe there's on the heels of that excitement where Moses and Aaron go into the presence of Pharaoh. And as he goes into the presence of Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. Let them go. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, that they may ho hold a feast to me in the wilderness. There it is. 
Now it's time. Here we go. God, you called me to deliver the people. I have known this since the very beginning when I was growing up in Pharaoh's household. I went ahead of you a little bit. I ended up extending wrath, judgment onto someone who was, uh, uh, who was beating one of my people. I thought I was a deliverer then. I wasn't. Now must be the time. And so, Pharaoh responds. And Pharaoh's response is, I don't know this God. And I'm not letting the people go. In fact, Pharaoh has a belief, and the belief is that he is God, manifest. And from the lineage of gods, why should he listen to a God who oversees slaves? Why should he bow to them? And so he says, in my words, I'm paraphrasing, seems like you have too much time on your hands. So I'll tell you what, you're not going to go out to this retreat in the wilderness. What you are going to do is find your own hay. You're going to find your own hay and you're going to make still the same quota that I've, been, that I've given you. And that's what he tells his foreman to tell the children of Israel and that's what happens. But they can't make that same quota. And the foremen end up beating and abusing those Israelites. They go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Yeah, well, Moses says you have too much time on your hands, and he wants you to go out to this retreat in the wilderness so that you can have a feast. That's not happening. Well, right after that meeting, they see Moses and Aaron. And when they see Moses and Aaron, they say, What's going on? Could you stop speaking on our behalf because things are actually worse? We don't want that kind of freedom that you're offering. That freedom really isn't freedom. No thank you. Moses, seemingly somewhat shocked, goes back to the Lord and has a conversation at the end of chapter 5 and at the beginning of chapter 6, God responds. And when God responds, uh, God lets him know that he's going to be a witness of something amazing and something wonderful. And so that's what we see in chapters 5 and 6. It takes us to where we are right now. And so let's walk through that because in part, we're talking about some wills. Now, earlier in the study, I said Moses is a type, a shadow of Jesus. He doesn't perfectly uh, represent Jesus. There are some things in his life that actually, not like Jesus at all, but in the respect that he delivers the people who were enslaved into uh, freedom, he is like Jesus. He is a type. Now, Pharaoh also is a type, you might say. And you see that Pharaoh is doing, well, what the devil did in the garden. Did God really say that? Questioning uh, God's, or questioning the people of God about the very word of God. And not relenting. And so there is a war of wills. And we see it played out in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. This is what happens. Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's what God says. <laughs> Pharaoh, what's his response? And listen closely to his words. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? 
I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. I'm God. I don't have to listen to that voice. Is the attitude and action of Pharaoh. Verse 3. They go back to him. A little different words. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. You can see he's kind of, Moses, is, uh, Moses and Aaron are knocked down a little bit after his response. And maybe you've been there too. We'll get into that in just a moment, but let's, let's take a little bit of time to see how Moses responds. Because in the midst of trusting God for something, and it doesn't go the way you think it's supposed to go, what you do next matters. How you respond to the Lord matters. You can be like my friend who I said earlier, who said, well, wait a minute. If this is what you're calling me into, no thank you. I'm not interested. And many of us do that on, uh, on big levels and small levels. But watch and see what Moses models for us and is also, I would say, reflected in Christ. But let's see what Moses models. Uh, Moses says, listen to his voice. Or, I'm sorry, listen to his voice. In Exodus 5, verse 2 and 3, after there is this challenge, Moses responds by reiterating what God had told him. Speak to God. At the end of Exodus chapter 5, he speaks to God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there real quick. In verses 22 and 23, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to you, Pharaoh, or since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Listen, that, that sounds um, maybe, maybe not the way we should deal with God. Also, God is not shaken. He doesn't go, well, wait a minute. Moses is challenged by what's happening. Maybe I'm not as godlike as I thought. Wait, things didn't work out the way Kenny thought they should. Maybe I'm, nope, God doesn't do that. But steps into those moments. And Moses, by the way, uh, Moses in Exodus 3 and in Exodus 4, and we see again in Exodus 5, comes to God with some humility. And now when things didn't go well, he's got these questions for God. And he's asking God about them. How is it that when I stepped out in faith, things didn't go well? In fact, they're not just going well. There is evil happening to your people. Why did you even send me? God is not shaken. And he responds. His response is witness the mighty hand. Verse 1 of chapter 6, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, he will send them out, them being the children of Israel. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That is just the reminder that Moses needed. It's just the word that he needed to hear. It's just the obedience, or it was just that message that helped him to be obedient. Because he's going to say, wait, did things change? 
Are we doing things differently now? I, I don't get it, God. No, Moses, you did everything the right way, and it didn't work the way you thought it would. And it's still within my will. Can you relate to that? Following God isn't always easy. In fact, there are a few things that we should highlight about that. Obedience doesn't mean an easy path. Obedience doesn't mean an easy path. Wouldn't you like it if every time you were obedient to the Lord, it, it was just going to be easy, right? Like, okay, I said I will surrender to God, so now everything is supposed to be easy. All of the doors will open exactly the way that I think they should. I am doing what God has called me to do, so no problems. No, actually, that's not the way that it works. Because something, God is doing something perhaps in you and something perhaps in others during this season. And sometimes he wants to shake that sin and death right off of us as we choose to be obedient to Christ. As we follow him and the freedom that Christ has given, the freedom that Christ has delivered. Obedience doesn't always mean an easy path. Obedience might mean intensity from the enemy. What's Pharaoh's response when Moses comes in? Let my people go. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. No, he doubles down. Not only am I not letting them go, I'm making it harder. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Lord, I'm going to follow you. And why is it hard? And maybe there's intensity from the enemy because it's way easier when you were just living in slavery. God is doing something. And we see that in the life of Moses uh, with Pharaoh. Obedience might mean misunderstanding from those we're serving. This is a painful one. Moses goes and he shows the people how God with a mighty hand wants to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. They are on board. Let's do this. And then it doesn't go that way. And then it becomes a problem. And not just that, but they go, you know what, Moses? Why don't you go back to Midian? Stay out of this. We are better as slaves than when you stuck your nose in this. No, thank you. This is painful. And maybe you've experienced this as a parent trying to lead your family, whether that's in, in prayer or in uh, obedience to Christ or, or reading the scriptures together. Maybe you have experienced in that. Maybe you've experienced at work whenever you've tried to live in integrity and honor of the Lord. And yet people are people, even the people who claim the same thing aren't living that way and are frustrated with you for doing it. Maybe you've experienced that in a variety of ways. And that's part of it. Obedience will always mean a close relationship with God. The one thing that becomes clearer and clearer from chapter 3 is this closer walk that Moses has with God. That these situations don't drive him away, they drive him toward. And so he doesn't, uh, he doesn't always understand what's happening, but in the midst of them, he goes to the Lord. And in going to the Lord, he asks questions. And he seeks God for answers. And God gives answers. And we need to remember that. 
that following Jesus isn't going to be easy, that following Jesus, in fact, there may be spiritual intensity that happens in our life. In following Jesus, we may be misunderstood. People's feelings might get hurt by the very decisions that we're making. When, uh, when I got saved, shortly after I received Jesus as my Savior, I felt God calling me into ministry. I was being discipled by a pastor who encouraged me to check out a school here in Minnesota. I checked it out. I liked that school. Uh, uh, not just liked it. I felt like I was called, and I, I went back to my family in and, and and southern Indiana, and I said, um, I'm, I'm going to school in Minnesota. I want to be a pastor. And uh, I remember my dad looking at me and going, that's just a phase. I'll tell you, I'm so thankful for this phase. It still hasn't ended. It's been a great phase. But that's not what he meant. My dad loved me, uh, but he also felt like I was leaving him, and he didn't understand that. And you may experience that as well as you choose to be obedient. But if we would, in faith, step out, these situations drive us closer to the Lord. With that in mind, Let's look at how God prepares his people and what he prepares them to. Well, in these, in these passages, we see that uh, he prepares his people to hear his word. That's what Moses kept going back to. His faith got rattled, he went to the word. Even Jesus, when he goes out to the wilderness and is tempted, how does he respond to that temptation? With the word. He goes back to the word. God is preparing you to hear the word. He wants you to hear his word. And he may even be opening you up in those places of challenge. I'll, I'll share one of those in my life early on. Um, I had been working at a place called Hardee's for about a year and a half. Anybody remember Hardee's, those fast food restaurants? Great greasy place to eat. Um, loved, loved Hardee's. You're, you're not going to believe this, but... The fast food industry might not be all that it's cracked up to be. I know you think that it's all fun and games, but there's actually some things that's not that enjoyable about it. And I was very careful as a 17-year-old to focus on those things that I didn't like, and which meant that sometimes I would slack. I know you can't believe it, but it's true. It's true. And I'd catch myself slacking. But this was my intersection of faith. But I remember waking up one day in, in a time of prayer and just had this, uh, Lord, I recognize I'm not working very hard at work and I need to step up. And I just had this thought, then serve me, not man. Oh, okay. That, that's a novel thought. As a new believer, I had never thought that thought before. Okay, so I'll serve you, Lord. That Sunday, the pastor's preaching in Colossians 3.23. Do everything heartily unto the Lord, not unto man. Wow, it's a great reminder. He was preparing my heart for something. Perhaps God is preparing your heart for his word also. Pray. You see Moses going back to the Lord, and Moses is honest about some stuff. Like he's honest in ways that I've never been honest with God about. Like, uh, I don't want to point the finger. Uh, but Moses goes, wait a minute. You called me to share this freedom and to bring these people out. And when I did that, things got worse and nobody's delivered. I don't understand that, God. You help me out. And God says, stick with it. 
Yep, it's exactly the way that I said it is. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he, Pharaoh, will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Like Moses must have went, okay, that didn't seem like what was going to happen today. What are you going to do here, God? Praying, spending time with the Lord changes Moses' heart and gives him strength to move forward. And I would suggest that same thing is true. We see it in the life of Jesus, even as he's preparing to go to the cross. Lord, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, your will be done. There's something that happens in that place of intimacy with God. And then witness his word. Witness his word. To be able to see God at work in our lives. I want to tell you about one of my best days. I was playing basketball. Because, uh, by the way, in Indiana, if you didn't know this, in Indiana there was a rule up until recently that if you didn't teach your kids how to dribble by the time they were three, it, there was a fine for that. So just, that's not true. I made that up because in my head it was funny. Um, so, uh, but basketball was a big deal. Uh, Larry Bird taught at my high school before, before I was there. Some of my teachers knew Larry Bird. Uh, for those of you who don't know Larry Bird, Google him uh, later. Uh, but basketball was a big deal. Loved basketball. Uh, spend all my time playing basketball. Let me tell you about the best day. I was playing basketball. I planted to go up for a layup. A defender came. He planted his knee in my knee, and I tore my ACL. I heard it click. That day did not seem like my best day, but it was one of my best days. God used that moment in my life to call me to him, recognizing that I was insufficient. I couldn't do it on my own. I I needed him, not just for basketball, but for life. That, That injury was the injury he used to show me that. Uh. Because of that injury, I received Christ. Because I received Christ, I was discipled by a pastor. That pa- because I was discipled by a pastor, he encouraged me to check out Crown College. Because I went and checked out Crown College, uh, I, I was able to be educated and prepared for ministry. Because I went to Crown, I met this cute little blonde from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I married her. When we had seven kids, and I don't know if I mentioned this yet or not, but in a month I'm expecting my first grandchild. That was one of my best days. But I didn't think it on that day. Sometimes we need to be witnesses of his word to have enough season to go, well, wait, all of this is God's work. History is God's work, and we need to have eyes to see it. Moses had enough wisdom to recognize that God is at work in this place. And even though the children of Israel in that moment were experiencing some brutality, he knew they were going to get freedom. Why? Because God said so. And as they look back, they see the mighty work of God. The Lord prepares his people to witness his word. Be prepared to witness it and to give testimony of it. As the worship team comes out and we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to remind us of a couple of things. I I came out uh, hitting pretty hard on abortion because uh, it's a big deal. Again, I want to say 
uh, from a, a personal testimony that um, that abortion affects men and women, and uh, healing is needed. Uh, my dad was uh, engaged, and uh, I have permission for this, by the way. My dad was engaged to a woman uh, after he and my mom divorced, and then they weren't. I didn't know for years why. Why? Eventually, I had enough guts to ask my dad, Dad, what happened? And he said this, uh, that, that lady got an abortion without his knowledge, and he felt like he was a participant of murder, and he never got past it. Not for years. Well, I should say not never. Just before he passed, he was able to let that go. The reason I tell you that is because from a personal standpoint, as a personal testimony, I, I watched this man, this adult man, my dad, my own dad, deal with the pain of abortion in his own life when years earlier he chose life. It's painful. I share that to say tonight at our seminar, there'll be an opportunity for healing. So whether you want to see, what does God's word have to say about this? Or whether you're seeking healing from having an abortion or uh, a family, you've been impacted by an abortion, um, please come out to that. It's from 4 to 5 o'clock, 4 to 5.30 tonight in Prior Lake at our Prior Lake campus. Uh, Matt and I will be presenting. We'd love to have you there. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we recognize a few things. One, communion is for the believer. Those who have said, yep, I received Jesus as my Savior. I want to follow him. I want to love him. Uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so we are called to examine our hearts or rather ask the Spirit of God to examine our hearts. And if there's sin there, that we would confess that sin and turn away from it. That's called repentance. And that we would repent and turn towards the Lord and follow Him because of His work, because of His leadership, because He has given us life, and that life is freedom. And we want to follow Him in that freedom where He leads and so uh, at Friendship, one of the ways that we practice communion is after a time of reflection, we'll take the carpeted areas and go to the, the station that's nearest us and get both the bread and the cup and return to our seats. And after the next song, we'll uh, have Pastor Jason lead us in, uh, in participating in communion together. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Oh, Lord, we come to you today with heavy hearts, recognizing that uh, you are our deliverer. And Lord, there has been a history of the evil one murdering. He steals, kills, and destroys. That's what he does. But you've given us this beautiful promise that you've come, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so, Lord, we, we would receive that even today, knowing that we can't earn our freedom, that we can't earn our life, but that's found in you. And so, Lord, because that's found in you, we 
find ourselves here preparing our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Lord, if there's any wayward way in us, if there are things we haven't done or things we've left undone, Lord, I ask that you would convict our hearts, that we'd repent and follow you. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.